Hallelujah. My name is Simon. I'm one of the pastors here at the City Church. And I am privileged to be bringing the word of God to us today. But before I get into it, I, also, I want to give special thanks to our father, Bishop Dr. Pastor Alex Mutagovia, and his lovely wife, Pastor Faith. These people have stood with us. They have cared for us as a church. I can speak personally that they have cared for me. I am a complicated person, but they have, eh, very complicated, but they have stood by my side and they have watched me grow to the level that I have reached. And they are, they, I know they love me so much. I know it deep down from my heart. I know that they love our family so much. And I know that they love you, the members of the City Church. Thank you for joining us today. And we are getting into the word right now. So Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to thank you for your word. For it is alive and active able to cut through bone and marrow. It has the capacity to separate between the soulish things and the spiritual things, O King of glory, Lord. My master, it's able to lift up, oh my God, the broken. It is able to transform the lives of the weak. It is able to change the lives of the simple, my King of glory, Lord. Master, as you have sent it today, my God, O oh Lord, and as you are faithful to it, O oh God, I pray that as I speak today, Lord, you will watch over it and perform it in people's lives. I thank you and I give you praise. In Jesus' name I have prayed. Amen. Now, a lot changed about my life when I joined the university. I had been raised Christian all my life, but I was never really interested in the things of God. I was in a Sunday school choir, but I think I was in it by force. I attended fellowships through high school, but I think I did it. When I look back, I really did it because of group influence. I wanted to somehow fit in. So when I reached campus, I told myself that now it is time to actually serve the Lord. So I told myself that I was going to join a fellowship, one of the fellowships at the university. So when I reached there, I went and joined one of them and I started attending. Now, I had no idea that these fellowships were unique. Leadership in uh, university fellowship changes every year. So as we were still just finishing our first year, the next thing I knew, I was part of the committee. And so the papa told us, he gave us some advice. And he told us that if you want to be good at this thing, you have to pray. And he gave us his trick. For me, each and every time we are having fellowship, a day before, I don't sleep on my mattress. I sleep on a mat. I pray the whole night. If prayer fails, I just sleep on the mat. At least God will see my faithfulness and act the next day. Well, I tried to copy it, but it was hard. It was really hard. I gave up. So second year comes in. And it also runs, and as it's about to run out, the leadership again changes. And this time around, I find myself being thrown into the deeper end. Yes, I was asked to be the prayer secretary in that fellowship. So they started, I started going by the name Papa Shanda. But the thing is that Papa Shanda did not have a prayer life. I knew how to pray on my own. I think by that time I was even speaking in tongues. But 
leading other people into prayer was a problem. That's when I actually remembered what the previous papa had told us. The mat and the prayer and the next day of fellowship. Now I tried the mat again. This time it seemed very hard. But by the masses of God, we had a small mattress at home. So I used to sleep on the bigger mattress and I would deal with God on the smaller mattress. It was, I think, about a two inch. And it happened that I started praying each and every day before fellowship. Then after some time, I realized that that wasn't enough. We had other activities going on. We had evangelism. We had small groups also going on within the fellowship. And the other problem was that the fellowship had dwindled in numbers. You know, when the old committee goes, the new committee is not trusted immediately. So people first leave the fellowship. So we were, we were attending the fellowship as the committee and a few members, roughly about 12 people. And it was bad and I didn't like it. So every day it became my habit to go back home, eat my supper and enter my room and then get onto the small mattress of mine and pray. I used to pray those days. I prayed. <laughs> it was serious. I would pray. I would come in and pray. If I, as in, I would even watch my clock. If I prayed for 30 minutes, I would feel that that's not enough. I would find a way of repeating everything that I have said in the previous prayer in this next time until when I make an hour. I know God was developing something in there, but many things were actually going on in my life as I did those prayers consistently. I prayed and prayed. Sometimes I would pray and find myself and wake up in the morning when I'm still on that small mattress. Then there was one of these nights as I was praying. I had just, I was just actually winding up, planning to jump onto the bigger bed. Then God arrested me into an experience I didn't understand. I can't fully explain what happened, but I was taken into a place that I, I, I woke up only. I got to realize that I was in my room uh, at about 6 a.m. in the morning. And there was a lot of excitement, of course, of having the experience. But deep down in my heart, I also knew that something had changed about the fellowship. Strangely, the next day was Wednesday. And on Wednesday, I actually went for the fellowship and it was actually amazing. Things had changed in the fellowship. I had prayed for a long time. I was praying for people to join. This time around, we increased to about 30 people in just one day. One day of prayer. I don't know what happened, but when I look back right now, I realize that I had stumbled on something that God requires of us in prayer. And today I'm going to be talking about that thing. My sermon is titled Persistence, Persistence in Prayer. I am a Samia and S's, these S, they disturb me a lot, so bear with me. In the book of Luke chapter 11, Jesus had a certain question his disciples asked him. They found him when he had just finished praying. And then they came to him and asked him that, Teach us how to pray. And they asked, referencing John, like John taught his disciples. I just have a feeling they were having an argument with John's disciples and they asked them, do you know how to pray? And they were like, uh, your master has not yet taught you. So they went back to their master and then he taught them. And Jesus being a good teacher, when he saw the opportunity to teach these guys about prayer, he gave them 
every detail about prayer in that particular chapter. He first gave them a pattern of the prayer and then in verses 5, he switched to something else that defines a certain principle on prayer. In verses 5 to verses 7, he says this, And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot give to you. You see, in this guy's time, in the country where they lived, it was good manners to give your guests food. Usually when you visit guys, they are single. They will give you water and some things. But for these people, it was good manners to give a person who had visited you food. So it was so important for this guy, this guy to get for his visitor something, uh, something to eat. But what happens is that his house had nothing for him to offer his friends, his friend that had visited him. So he moved in and uh, went to his neighbor to ask for bread. Three loaves at least, maybe for evening, for the time that he had come, and something else for breakfast. But the Bible tells us that the friend totally refused. The Bible goes on to say in verses 8, I said to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is, he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. You realize that when the story comes out, it feels like as if Jesus has diverted from prayer. But I want you to understand that Jesus is using an example to explain to these, to these people a very important principle that exists in prayer. You realize that even his choice of story is so important. He goes to a friend to ask for something. And I know many of us, when we are going through a difficult time, we won't just bump into any stranger to ask for what we need. We will go to those people that we have a relationship with. But Jesus tells them that it is not the friendship that got this man the bread. It was his persistence. It was his shameless, continuous asking and knocking on the door that got the guy out of his bed and he was like, oh, why, yeah? That is the reason why this man received the bread. Persistence is a very important aspect of prayer. So using that background, Jesus now starts telling his disciples to ask. In verses 9, he tells them, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. You realize that Jesus was not just any other average man. He was God. Meaning that whatever he called out and said, on many occasions he said it by his divine nature. And we know that when God says something, he has fully declared it. But this, as he said it, he was drawing from the way God dealt with men before. He had set it up that whenever people pray, they have to be answered. Whenever people ask from God, they were to be answered. So you realize that he continues to say the same thing in verses 10. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to, who, to, to him who knocks, it will be opened. 
So he says this, this, the, the first statement in uh, verses 9, and then he emphasizes the same statement in verses, in verses 10, kind of putting up a setting that this is established. These are two immutable words, statements, because they are actually from God. When God makes a statement, no one can stop it. And in this, you realize that he says that for whoever asks will receive. That setting in English is actually, you say such when you are making a promise. I want you to understand that God operates within promises, principles, and patterns. Each and every time he promises, there is a principle attached to that particular promise that he has given. So for you to get, to, to benefit from the promise that he has given, you must act in principle. And the other thing is that for the, for the results of that promise to be consistent in your life, you must work within his pattern. You must work so hard to see to it that the pattern becomes a habit in your, within your life. When the pattern becomes a habit, there is a level of consistency concerning that promise that will hit your life. When it comes to prayer, God has promised that he will always answer prayer. But he has placed a principle on it and he has said that we must persist in prayer for us to get the results necessary. And he, in this particular chapter, also gave us a pattern by which we can pray. As children of God, it is incumbent upon us to learn the ways of our God. We have to learn the way God operates, or else we will call ourselves children of God, but live our lives like as if we are not children of God. The Bible says that the children of a lion hunger and they lack for food but the children of God will never lack he has provided he has given us everything there might be rich men in this world but there is an inheritance that we have because we are children of God and this inheritance is in this generation that we are in and it's also in the life to come so we must run and operate within the principles of God Today, the principle I'm talking about is the principle of persistence. You see, however much God has placed these principles, he doesn't want us to be transactional. The truth is that you can pick up the principle and operate in it and yet have, be a person who is just twisting God's arm to get things out of him. The reality is that the relationship between us and God is a love relationship. And one thing I know about love is that it always gives. He wants to operate with us at that level. And because he wanted to teach his disciples something similar to that, he asked them a question. That who of you is a good father? He didn't ask it like that, but he said it this way in verses, in verses, uh, verses 11 of the scripture. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? He asked them that way, but he juggled their mind and they saw something in it. 
he continues in verses 13 and says that, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them who ask him? So he brings them to, to, he brings them in a position where they have to start looking at God as a father. And it has to come to us as children of God. Many of us approach God as some guy with a big eye watching over us up there. Well, that was my understanding when I was young. In fact, even when I would fail in my older years, it would come back. But we, as children of God, will approach him as, should approach him as our father. Because Jesus tells them, your heavenly father. He calls him your heavenly father. He doesn't even say my heavenly father. He says your heavenly father. How much more will he give when you ask? It is incumbent upon us as children of God to develop that attitude. Fathers love their children and will go through any depth to see that the lives of their children are okay. But in this, he also brings in the picture of a son. We are children of God. We are sons of God. Meaning that as children of God, we must embrace our position as children of God. You see, children are strange. You will go out with a child to a supermarket, and as you're looking for the price tags to see what you can afford, the child will go and pick up something that even is far bigger than your salary. He's not picking up that thing because uh, he's outraged or so what. He's picking up the thing because he trusts you. He knows you're the richest man in this world. To him, you're that. A child will be beaten by someone bigger than you. And he will run back to you, the parent, and he's like, they have beaten me. And you, he takes you there and you see a giant and you're like, hey, how am I going to manage this? To children, their parents, their fathers are the strongest people that exist in this world. Even us, we should carry the same attitude when we are going to the Father. We should have the same. It is settled within the mind of a child that I can have nothing unless I am given. It is so settled. You see, for us human beings, when we become adults, some imagination hits our head and we think that we only have because we work, that we only have because we struggle, that when the economy changes, we also have to struggle. So we push harder instead of going back to our God. And our God has given us actually principles. He has given us promises that we can pull to ourselves and get results in our lives. It is important for us to develop the attitude of children. We need to understand it that we cannot have unless we have been given. And in this world, there is one giver, and he is our father, and he's seated in the heaven. We need to focus on that one and ask him. So when we go before our God in prayer, we are actually humbling down before him and telling him that, you know what? I cannot manage. It is you who can manage. It is you who can help me. The scripture says that if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray. That's when I will hear their prayer. So in persisting in prayer, in stretching out, we are telling him that I cannot manage. 
It is you who can manage. We are telling him that in this world, I have nothing except you give it to me. In this world, I can do nothing except you help me. In this world, I can find no solution except you, my God, help me. We have to intentionally arm ourselves with that attitude. That is the attitude that's supposed to take us in prayer. That is the attitude which will keep us persisting in prayer. Because a child will ask you for a thing and then you tell him in the evening. And then he comes back in the evening and asks for the same thing. And then he comes back later and asks for the same thing. Until when you take care of his need. That's when the child will give up. We as children of God, we need to arm ourselves with the same attitude. That is the same attitude that Hannah had. For she knew God. There was a relationship with, between her and God. As in she brought a sacrifice every year to the house of God. But she had no child. That was her need. The Bible says every other year she prayed normally. Then there was this particular year where she got into that temple. And prayed and prayed and prayed. Until when her pastor heard and said, eh, I don't know what's wrong with my sister. She's praying like these drunk guys who move on the streets. But the reality is that there was something burning in her heart. There was something that needed to be sorted out. There was something that needed to change. Before you start kutetenkanyaring, that's the language I know. Before you start yearing and struggling with the economy right now, have you tried to go before God? How many times have you actually gone before God because of today's economy? How many times? For we received a year, a word beginning from last year, that it is time for revival. And this particular year, the, the word that we received, that it is still time for revival, but this is the year of the Holy Spirit. How many times have you gone back and asked God to release that Holy Spirit? Because in the scripture that we have just read, the Bible has told us that if we, who are evil, give our children good gifts. James describes God as the father of lights, who has no shadow and who has no turning. It is from him that every good gift comes from to us. But Jesus just replaces that good gift word and he places there the good gift. How much more of the Holy Spirit will he give you when, he, when you ask? How much more I know it is time for revival. We are within the seasons. And the truth is that each and almost every church, almost every man of God is speaking about the same thing. That it is time. It is time. God wants to release out rivers of living water. God wants to release out something big. But as you've heard those words, how many times have you gone back to God and asked? It is time we start. We can start today, child of God. It doesn't matter whether you are in your living room. You can start today. You can start praying. You pray, look at your clock. The time hasn't moved. Throw it away and continue praying until when something happened. There is no movement of God that started when people were not praying. There is none of them that started. Each and every one of them people gathered from the apostles they gathered and started praying and then God released his good gift, the Holy Spirit. It is time for us to adjust to that. It is time for us to pray a little bit more. 
And if you're hearing these words, and for you, you're wondering, what are they even talking about? Yes, I pray. I pray every day. You have a level of consistency and persistence. But why are you telling me that I have to have a relationship with God? Why are you telling me that I have to have, uh, I have to have, I have to be a child of God? Well, you see, there are some things that cannot be done right unless you're within the patterns of God. The Bible tells us that we were not able to help ourselves in any way. And because of that, God sent his son to die for us on the cross. And he said that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever believes in him now has a right to become a child of God. If you want to become a child of God, just answer these words. Repeat these words after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for loving me. And I thank you for not looking upon my sin. I thank you for choosing to forgive me my sin. Today, I believe that when you went for, on the cross, you went for me. I believe that when you died, you went for me. I believe that when you resurrected, you resurrected together with me. Today, I believe that I am born again and that I am a child of God. If you have prayed that prayer along with us, you are now born again. There are numbers that are going to show up on your screen. Please call them or send us a message if you are on YouTube so that we can get back to you and give you the next steps towards that. But I know we need to start persisting in prayer. Let's just bow and receive this word. Father, we thank you for your word because it comes to us to change our lives. It comes to us in due season and the right time. God, we open up our hearts and ask you to fix it in very well that it will cause the difference that it has come to cause. We give you praise and we give you glory. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen.